Good evening. Welcome to Sojourn. My name is Marshall Dallas. Um, I'm the lead pastor of Sojourn Montrose, and it's a joy to gather together with the saints from both Sojourn Heights and Sojourn Montrose as we share a time of sober reflection and repentance before the throne of a good and gracious king. Tonight begins the season of Lent, as Paul mentioned earlier, a season in which we prepare our hearts to celebrate the great joy uh, that comes at Easter and the resurrection of Christ. I would like to begin by reading this evening's scripture from 2 Corinthians 5.20 through chapter 6, verse 10. So if you would please take your Bible um, or find one uh, around you. Um, and then when you, when you get there, please stand in reverence of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord from 2 Corinthians. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Brothers and sisters, this evening we gather to solemnly and corporately acknowledge and mourn our sin and the resulting mortality. We languish in the reality that the 89th Psalm makes excruciatingly clear to us when it says this, What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of the grave? My friends, regardless of the relative distance we may believe we have from that time of our death, the truth is that it will come and that it will always be sooner than we had hoped for or even expected. And so the the question that begs to be answered is this. If death is a universal experience, one that the human race has been familiar with for many an age, why, oh why, does it still taste so strange, so vastly unfamiliar? The contention of the Christian faith is that this unfamiliarity finds its source in the very root of our being. The Christian scripture in Genesis reveals to us 
that in eternity past, the Creator God wielded His masterful hand to speak light into the void, to separate the heavens and the earth, to fling the stars across the galaxies of our universe, and to craft every living and breathing creature in water on earth and in sky. And finally, as the very pinnacle of that creation, he created humanity. And, and let us not make the mistake that this humanity was merely mortal. No, we were graven in the very image of God himself, invited into the eternal communion of the Father, Son, and Spirit, this man and wife, this Adam and Eve, were to be fruitful and to multiply and to have dominion over the earth, bearing the image of their glorious God to the very farthest of its shores. And it was upon the completion of this work that this great God rested looked back at all that he had done and proclaimed that it was good. And as a simple reminder of their position, as the beneficiaries of God's sovereign kindness, he left them but one instruction. An instruction that while perhaps seemingly inconsequential on the surface, underneath spoke a great truth as to relate the relationship between man and God. You see, human flourishing was to take place underneath the gracious reign and rule of this creator, of this father, of this commissioner. But if we are familiar with the stories, we know how easily we were tempted. We know how quickly we were tricked into believing that we could not only be like him, but that we could be him. How foolish to think that we could be the great I am, the creator and the sustainer of all, the Lord of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the progenitor of all that is made. My friends, we were created to flourish in submission to God and instead foolishly believed we could flourish in independence from God. We sought to depose the undeposable. We endeavored to take a throne that we could not own, sustain, or even hope to enjoy. And tragedy of tragedies, upon this betrayal, we were banished from the presence of a holy God in whose presence this sin and rebellion could not stand. My friends, at that moment, it was as if a scarlet letter had been borne upon our chest. Our shame was engraved upon us, and we bear the weight of that eternal curse even to this day. That eternal incompatibility of what is holy, righteous, and just with that which is unholy, unrighteous, and unjust. We bear that now as immortals who have been subjugated to mortality by the curse of our sin. And make no mistake, it is this infection, this disease of sin, this impoverished understanding that believes we can flourish apart from the sustainer of all things that still plagues us to this day, from which all of our strife is born. Our sin is grievous, a heinous affront to a holy God. And whether it's by act after act or by, whether by inaction after inaction, in all of those we proclaim proudly our rebellion and our defiance. 
happily we become our own undertakers, digging our graves into oblivion. And we seek the satisfaction of our souls and the pleasures of the world, and yet we secretly doubt their ability to provide what we most desire. We were not created for this. And it is for this reason, brothers and sisters, that when we read in 2 Corinthians 5, and it implores us to be reconciled to God, we see very clearly why that reconciliation is necessary. We have need for this ministry of reconciliation. We have need for a day of salvation. The Christian faith contends that where humanity failed to live in full submission to God, Jesus, as God's own Son, did live in full submission to God among men. This God-man Jesus descended from his deserved throne in the heavens, and he took upon himself flesh and walked faithfully in our place. The duty that was ours to bear, he bore. Jesus walked before God in holiness and righteousness in all his ways. Jesus was the quintessential human, everything that we had been meant to be. He was the perfect ambassador, the perfect image of God. His life was perfectly pleasing, worthy of honor, worship, and even the reward of God's own favor. And yet, irony of ironies, the only man to ever live a life fully worthy of God's favor instead receives condemnation on a Roman cross. What new mystery is this? What blessed backwardness that the immeasurable one is held and does not resist. Struck by wicked words and foolish fists of senseless men, the Almighty One does not defend. 2 Corinthians reveals the ends of this mystery to us. Yes, the man who had earned God's favor bore the punishment of those without God's favor in order that they might be reconciled to God's favor. My friends, the glorious gospel, the glorious good news of the cross is beheld in this simplest of statements from verse 21 when it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, so that in Christ, we might become the very righteousness of God. So yes, brothers and sisters, this evening we mourn our sin. We mourn that it has separated us from God. We mourn that its eternal scar is borne out upon us in the curse that is death, that is the image of the ashes that we bear on our foreheads. But we can notice with great pleasure that in dealing with mourners, the Lord acts upon terms of exchange or barter. That he gives us beauty for ashes. That he gives us the oil of joy for mourning. And that he gives us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It is a gracious exchange and it is tantamount to everything because it is a free gift. For the Christian, perfection is given, not earned. 
For the Christian, righteousness is applied, not conjured. For the Christian, hope is bestowed, not fashioned. Life is secured for us, not sustained by us. And all of this, my brothers, my sisters, proceeds from the hand of a generous and prodigiously merciful God. Is this not good news? Is it not good news that our endemic sinfulness is met with God's endemic love? There are those among us this evening for whom these words have never rung true. There are those among us who have not called upon the reconciling work of this Christ. There are those to whom this grace has yet to be revealed, and this evening we, like Paul, would beg of you, be reconciled. Take up the free grace of Christ, repent and believe, because all that awaits you before God in the name of Christ is acceptance. And while we assume that this moment is not urgent, the truth is that for all of us, death approaches. That's why we bear the ashes. That's why we remind ourselves that from dust we came and to dust we shall return. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, this moment is urgent. Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation, and we put this evening no obstacle in your way. Come, drink freely from the fountain of life without price. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and Christ will give you rest, because in Christ your sin is his to conquer, and his righteousness is your new belonging. And there are those among us who I am privileged to call family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of the cross. A title that was meant for the shame of our Egyptian brothers, but that we bear with glad joyness. This evening, let us be reminded that the favorable time is now also for us that Christ our King is here and that his kingdom is comprised of the reconciled, that is us, by his grace. And while his kingdom is established for reconciliation, as we see here, we also see that it is expanded by that self-same reconciliation. And in the same way in which the sinner, the unrepentant this evening should feel the weight, the urgency of the moment, we also should feel that self-same weight as those who are to be about the ministry of reconciliation. So brothers and sisters, tonight let us repent from our unbelief. Let us repent from the obstacles that we have placed in the way of the seeker. Let us repent that as servants of God we have not commended ourselves as such. Let us repent that we glory in ease physical prowess, sloth, sleep, abundance, impatience, harshness, impurity, and untruthful speech. Let us repent from the calamity that is claiming the marvelous riches of Christ while simultaneously giving ourselves over to the bondage from which he has already freed us. May we account our lives as what they truly are that self-same thing which you bear on your forehead.
a brief mist, a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, may we labor in this life, in this confidence spoken by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians when he says, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, and if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Brothers and sisters, in spite of how we may be characterized in the coming days in a nation that further and further disdains our very presence, whether we are known as imposters, whether we are known as unknown or dying or punished or sorrowful or poor or having nothing in Christ, we can be sure that we are true, known, living, not killed, always rejoicing, rich, and possessing everything because he is our great hope and the source of those self-same things. Let us not be restricted by our own affections, but instead let us return and widen our hearts to the glorious grace afforded to us in Christ Jesus. So yes, brothers and sisters, may we mourn this evening, but may, may we mourn in light of the coming reality that all of these pangs that we bear, that all of the strife that we endure are but the pangs of childbirth that we will be delivered into a glorious new state, when we will be brought to the very table of God himself, and we will be invited to feast, not on bread and wine, but on the glorious riches of his grace and mercy afforded to us in Christ Jesus. When we will gather around with the saints of every tongue, tribe, and nation, when we will gather with the 21 who were slain, and we will proclaim, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we enter into his holy presence by virtue of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. And that is good news this evening. Let's pray.